The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Vile Files. I am your host, Nick, joined by my producer, Chrissy. Chrissy, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? You're looking fresh. I'm fine. Uh, no, not really. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, look fresh over Zoom. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, we have a, a really great episode. I know uh, I, I mentioned to you guys uh, last week that we were supposed to have Garrett and Becca on. I explained why Garrett and Becca on uh, are not on this episode on my last uh, Nick episode uh, on Monday's episode. So if you want an explanation there and you, you didn't hear it, go back and check out that great episode. Um, and so we uh, are dropping our uh, episode with uh, our Enneagram. Enneagram? 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 Enneagram. Enneagram. Well, I learned how to say it today. Um, <laughs> our expert, Jill Moran. And I got to say, I had a ton of fun talking with Jill and learning a lot more about Enneagram. Uh, we talk a lot, obviously a lot about relationships on this uh, podcast. We've talked about Enneagrams on this podcast. Uh, it's It seems to be a, a fun topic that people recently have gotten into. And, and like horoscopes or other personality tests, uh, we seem to like take this quiz online, read about ourselves and go, yep, that's so me. And then we don't really know what to do with it. And we thought it'd be really helpful to have an expert on someone who's who studied this type of stuff and, and give us a lot of insight into what it means to interpret and, and apply now the information you might get from an Enneagram test. So yeah. She got you pretty good. It was a lot of fun. I, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I know we've been very topical recently uh, and, and talked about some things going on in the world. And, and quite honestly, uh, uh, I'm committed to continue to do that. But we do want to mix it up and make sure we're still having uh, some lighthearted, fun conversations. And so I think you guys will really enjoy this one. And uh, yeah, uh, if there's nothing else, Chrissy, I say we kick it off. <laughs> I say we get to it. Yeah. Hey, Jill, how's it going? Hi, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've talked a lot about. Well, actually, no, we haven't talked a lot about Enneagrams <laughs> on the show. We've talked a little bit about Enneagrams on this show. Um, we talk about relationships a lot, different personalities. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to get someone on who knows what the hell they're talking about? When it comes to anagrams, and so, uh, yeah, Jill is. Uh, what are, what are you? An anagram expert? How's this? What, yeah, what you I guess yourself? I guess I'm an expert. I'm a teacher. Okay. I'm a guide, which is really just a coach. But I don't like the coach thing because I just feel like I think about soccer practice when I think of coaches. So not necessarily. How does how does one become? Uh, an expert in enneagrams. Am I even saying enneagrams correctly? It's so it's enneagram. Enneagram. There you go. But yeah. I, it's close. It was good. It was Do good. most people say enneagram or enneagram? People. So I'm just dumb. Okay. No, it's good. 
No, you're, I, I you're doing great. I was saying it the same way you were, Nick. So there you go. Yeah. Any Enneagram. Enneagram. How does one become an expert uh, in Enneagrams? Most of us experts kind of start in a place where we are seeking some sort of wisdom for ourselves, for our like selfish gain. So that's how I started in the Enneagram. I, I started learning, I think the first time I had heard about the Enneagram was about seven years ago. And um, it's been around for a long time. It's been around in the United States since the 60s. No, that's my, I guess, great place to start. I feel like this is something that, I feel like Enneagram's like kale. Like kale's been around forever. Right. Right, but we never heard of kale. Like, I don't know how long, how long has kale been mainstream? Maybe 10 years, but before that, it's like they invented kale 10 years ago. And now we're always eating kale. And Enneagrams, like one day, everyone's like, what's your Enneagram? And I was like, what the fuck is an Enneagram? Totally, no, yeah, and I know, and that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of it is social media. There's like a lot of meme Enneagram accounts now. It's kind of turning into like astrology type knowledge in a sense where it's like everyone knows like the littlest bit. Like everyone knows sure. they maybe took a test. They know what their number might be. Um, similar to astrology where I think there's actually a lot more information that astrologists are like hoping that one day we'll wake up to. But we, we don't. We just want the memes. So, so what is like an Enneagram? Like, can you give us some history behind it um, in terms of is it like astrology or is it more like a scientific, you know, uh, personality test? Uh, like, for example, like Myers-Briggs, you know, how does it different than, say, something like that or the other personality tests that are out there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, so the Enneagram is super, super, super old, like centuries old. It's actually this like nine-pointed symbol. It's like this witchy symbol. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I I actually, I, have, I, I drew have, it out for you guys. Do you great. see that? That's the Enneagram. That's, that's the Enneagram. What is that based off of? So there's like a lot of like weird rumor history about the Enneagram. But we know that this symbol showed up like pre-Buddhism, pre-Christianity. So it's a very old system. And in the Greek, Enneagram just means nine-pointed system or symbol. So do we not even know who invented? No. So it's like an old oral tradition. So like, like a lot of, yes. So like a lot of oral traditions is passed down through centuries of teachers of like mystical religious people who like desert fathers and mothers like way back in Egypt used this system to teach psychology. So so talking about the Myers-Briggs, it it is similar in the way where it's like a lot of therapists are now like at least aware of the Enneagram. And I know, I mean, my therapist uses it in in our personal sessions, um, or at least we can like talk the language of the Enneagram, but it is, it's psychology. And the difference between the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs at a most basic level is Myers-Briggs is telling you so much more about your behavior. And that's why your Myers-Briggs can change over years, where the Enneagram is referring to your motivations, to what's driving you and your internal landscape, your internal stories that you're mm. telling yourself. And so it won't change. It'll, your, your number never changes in the Enneagram. Never. No, 
no. Yeah. And, and there's, um, it, it is super dynamic. Like there's a lot of different layers to the Enneagram and like going back to that symbol, you see like your number has two lines attached to it. So you have a number that you start to look like when you're in a place of growth, when you're growing as a human, you might start to take on characteristics of this other number. And when you're in stress, I start as an Enneagram four, I'm, I'm the individualist. I start looking like an Enneagram two. I take on the energy of the helper to get my needs met, if that makes sense. I'm sure. Yeah. I, um, Sorry, there's so much. I'm throwing stuff at you already. No, this is uh, this is great. I mean, I always find these like personality tests interesting. Um, like you said, like how you even got into it. It's it's fun. Like whether it's even horoscopes or Myers Briggs or Enneagram. I mean, it's fun to learn about ourselves. And since we are all a bit narcissistic and and vain, we you know like we love to like. You know, it's fun to take tests and then and then have it go. Yeah, oh my God, it's so me. Like I, this this person sees me, um, but I think we we do it. Like, yeah, I guess that's my question. Big question is, how do we apply these quizzes and tests or the enneagram or you know? Not, I don't. This is not a really discussion about Myers Briggs or even horoscopes. Like, it's fun to take the test. It's fun to read the. Ooh, I'm an achiever. Oh, that sounds flattering. And then like, oh, and then you read some things. You're like, yep, that's so me. Like, it's totally me. Like, what do you do with that from that point? Other than feeling like someone actually sees you for who you are. And it makes you feel like, you know, you go around and be like, just, you know, if you haven't heard, I'm an achiever. Um, or I'm a helper or I'm a loyalist. These are all, these all sound great. Like everyone, according to the Enneagram is a wonderful human being. So I'm wondering like, how do we go from like, flattering ourselves to applying um this information no and that that's like a great question and a lot of us enneagram teachers are trying to allow the enneagram to be a space where people start to actually ask that question like how can i not just be this stereotypical box that this test has put me in, right? And and I think like, I, I did hear one Enneagram teacher say one time that the Enneagram is like a palace and knowing your Enneagram number is like the door. So people come to the door, they know their number and then they stop. But there's like gardens and libraries and like beautiful things within the palace that you never get to because you're like, just stoked on what your number is. But I actually know when people are really doing Enneagram work and really like doing like self work, self-reflection work, when their Enneagram number becomes not so cool to them, like they're not so stoked on it because they start to like dive into the shadow side, just like, which shadow side is like an Enneagram turn, but like just the harder aspects of, the things that are driving us. And when when you're starting to pay attention to those and you see those patterns start happening in your life over and over and over again, that's when you either feel stuck or you you start diving into like why those patterns are there and where they started and how you can start to heal those patterns. So that's really what the Enneagram is for. We say in the Enneagram that you actually have all nine types inside of you. And, and our goal isn't to stick you in your type, but to have you grow to be able to love like all nine numbers, not just your like 
egocentric way of loving people, right? Like we want to grow to be able to love people in all different sorts of ways. So how do we do that? So we can start at like the test, right? So, so y'all both took the test, right? I took the test a while ago. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a three wing four. Yes. Okay. So the first thing is, is there's no Enneagram real, there's no real Enneagram test. Oh, what do you mean by that? Because, yeah, I mean, I took something, uh, it was like passed around by a friend. It seemed pretty expansive. Like it was, it took me, you know, not like forever, but like it wasn't as if like it was a five question test and like, this is who you are based off of five basic questions. No, like mine took like 10 minutes. So there's a lot of Enneagram tests out there. And what those are are just tests that like creator, like Enneagram creators and like professionals have created but the Enneagram isn't supposed to be something that you find through a test. And actually, the best teachers will tell you that tests are only 60% accurate. So oh hearing your types, um, I, I would say like that's a good first step to start to bring in some self-awareness to what you're hearing and how it's like fitting in into your life it's just the first step and i actually tell people not to like start with a test but to start with just like paying attention to what you pay attention to in like your thought center and your heart and like where your feelings are and like when you get triggered and all those things those things will come up in the enneagram if you have a level of self-awareness so first step learn about yourself learn about what drives you then start learning about the Enneagram. Start reading a book, a podcast, get like a guide or a coach to help you to start to like see what's going on and what's underneath your behavior. Um, so that's where you start. Um, and then going to your question of like, how do we use this? Like, how do we use the shit to like actually become better people? I think there's, there's a, the Enneagram is like a roadmap for you. So, so like I said, every number has a stress line and a growth line. Those are, that's really important data for me to start to understand where I can start to move to and, and what is the medicine to like, it's what's the antidote to the harder, like heavier shit in my personality and, and how can I balance it? So for me personally, I'll just like speak to it personally. Um, I'm, a, I'm a four. I'm an individualist or the romantic. And uh, fours go to one when they're in health. So ones are the perfectionist. And, and fours, especially when we're in unhealth, we get really trapped in our heart spaces or like the most emotional type and our head. So we start thinking about our feelings and feeling about our thinking. And... Uh, I have trouble getting to a place where I actually start doing stuff like putting myself out there to a place to like get out of like my internal like self-talk is really, really hard for me. But I know when I'm starting to actually like put my ideas into the world that I'm in a place of growth. So that's just like one example of how the Enneagram is useful for growth. All right. Uh, you guys know I drink a lot of coffee uh, if you have been watching this podcast at all. And my teeth have gotten a little, little, little stained. And quite honestly, up until this point, I've been resistant to teeth whitening stuff. As an influencer, it's like the running joke. But I needed to get my teeth whiter. And so I've done a bunch of research. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to shine my teeth up. 
And I'm ready to do that with IntelliWeight, who just launched the biggest breakthrough in at-home teeth whitening in 20 years. That's amazing. With the Indiglow Teeth Whitening Light System. And the reason why it's better than everything else is because they have the patent purple light, which is safer, faster, and better at breaking up dental stains than outdated blue light systems. So I'm ready to go. Uh, Chrissy, I know you've been using it. I'm obsessed with it. I just got mine in the mail. So I'm, I'm like, I'm jacked and ready to go. But this is after like me like looking into it and be like, all right, what, which one do I want to, uh, which one do we want to recommend to our people on the show? Look, I'll tell you, you'll be so excited. It's so easy. You kind of like you brush your teeth with their paste. Then you take the gel. It has like this cool little brush on it. And you just put it on your teeth after you use the whitening paste. And then you take the mouthpiece and you put it in your mouth. And the best thing about it is like I probably sent you like 10 emails while I was sitting there with this thing in my mouth. And you had no, probably no idea. I was able to do laundry while I was in my mouth. I was able to continue on my day while I was whitening my teeth and it doesn't like keep you from doing anything. It's amazing. Well, they've whitened over 2 million smiles. So uh, be a uh, 2 million and one, two or three. Uh, right now, our listeners can get $50 off the new Indiglow teeth whitening system. But to do that, you have to go to tryindiglow.com and use the promo code SHOW, S-H-O-W. That's T-R-Y-I-N-D-I-G-L-O-W.com and use promo code SHOW. Trying times, people, trying times we are in. I can only imagine that many of you are feeling stressed and that maybe even your mental health is a little taxed right now. And so we've talked about better help. Uh, there's never been a, a better time to, you know, to check in, make sure your mental health uh, where it needs to be. Uh, we do a lot of work on our physical appearance. We do a lot of work on our diet, but we always need to make sure we're doing a lot of work on our mental health as well. And BetterHelp is making that easier than ever. As we've talked about, uh, you can do this from the convenience of your home. Uh, it's real simple. You just go on to BetterHelp. You take an assessment. They align you with a therapist or a mental health professional that fits your needs. If you don't like that person after you first talk to them, you can always switch. So whether you're dealing with any type of stress, anxiety, depression, sleeping problems, trauma, LGBTQ matters, grief, you know, the list goes on. So uh, it's confidential, it's convenient, it's professional, and best of yet, it's so affordable. So we recommend it to our listeners. Uh, it's absolutely great. I know a ton of people who have tried it. Uh, people who are, are listening have reached out to us and shared their experiences. Uh, not necessarily what they talked about, but just how much it's really helped them. And we appreciate you guys doing so. I want you to start living a happier life. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash V-I-A-L-L. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health today. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash V-I-A-L-L. But you're saying to really apply it, like how, I mean, these tests, I know you said like they're they're kind of, created by experts and there's no standard format but like like you said the average person out there like firstly this will go to memes it's fun to talk about but for example like using me, myself as an example i took some random test i don't know who created the test i just like oh okay here it is um and again according to the test i'm a three wing four uh and that was like neat okay that sounds pretty accurate actually um is there something I can like, is that just a fun exercise or is that, like you said, I know you recommend not starting there, but if someone was like, didn't like seek out an expert, right. And I, my, my question is, is like, are you saying, um, this is, is this like a therapy method? Like for the person who's just like, again, just trying to have fun or, or maybe 
you know, maybe they've had three or four relationships that didn't work out and they're kind of in this period in their life where they're just like, you know what, maybe I need to like take a step back and assess myself before I move on to my next relationship because I wonder if I'm being, uh, I'm wondering if this is a me problem, you know, in relationships and maybe they're internalizing that. Uh, do they have to really kind of do a deep dive or the, the tests are just, it's, that's just a fun exercise. If you want to do it for fun, like do it for fun. Like that's, that's cool. And, and it, like you said, like tests are really fun. And I think like any sort of information that again is going to like take you to a deeper level of like why you do what you do, like even the basic lot, like the basic first level of information will be helpful if you're looking for that. And like going back to what you said about people, like I, I watch your show. So I, I hear a lot of people asking like, why, why do I keep doing the same thing? Right? Like the same thing keeps happening to me or like I, I go after the same type of person over and over again. Why is that happening? And, and I think, we're often looking for like behavior changes or like ways to fix how we act, but there are specific things that are underneath why we're doing what we're doing that we can start to pay attention to. So like, yes, we can use the Enneagram for fun, but if we're going to start to dive into like what the Enneagram is for, which is for our deeper motivations, it will be helpful to start to figure out why you're actually doing the shit that you're doing and how we can start to like maybe change our inner dialogue instead of just like fixing our performance because underneath our performance, we're still like have these messed up narratives that we're working with. Right. For argument's sake, let's assume that I have been really diving in and I'm in fact a three wing four, even though I'm only based this off a test. But since, uh, how, how do I, like, let's just use me as an example. How do I use that to better understand myself? Uh, and like you said, I mean, like, I'm assuming when you say kind of the shadows, it's like I'm reading The Achiever, the success-oriented, pra uh, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, image conscious. I'm like thinking, that all sounds pretty great. Im image conscious sounds a little vain, but like, whatever, not a big deal. I'm an amazing person. Three, you know, wing four, sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, temperamental. Okay, not, that doesn't sound as complimentary, but like, I'll take it. But like, so what does that mean to be something and then a wing? And then if that if that is in fact me, how do I take this information and start to better understand why I do what I do? Uh, that that might be self-destructive. Uh-huh. That's, that's a great question. So if you are a three with, with a wing four, I, okay. So first of all, you're not supposed to type people. So like, I, I'm going to give you my two cents about like what I see. Um, but like, don't take what I say as like the ultimate truth. Cause again, it goes back right, to motivation. So you're, you're going to say like, not necessarily three wing four based off. No, of yeah. Time. Okay. Well, Yes. So, okay. so yeah. I, this is what you would do. This is what you would do if you were to talk to like anyone. Yes. I would, I would say I am curious about a few numbers for you and, and what drives you. And so we could start to have a conversation about what those things are. I three is one of them that I really do see in the little bit that I know about you. And, um, it's actually, I see three numbers that are right next to each other. 
for you, which is the three, the four, and the five. The four is the individualist and the five is the observer. And I see all three of those in, in your behavior, at least. I don't know what's driving that behavior. But say you are a wing th- or a three with a four wing. Okay. So we can start by just like talking about the basic fears of the three, the basic motivations of the three, and some of the stories that have created who, who the three is. So is that cool? Can we yeah. dive into yeah. some of that? Okay. So the basic fear of the Enneagram three is that at their core, they're worthless or don't hold value apart from what they do. So, yeah. so they start to attach their identity more to what comes to them and what they achieve to who they are inside. And because of this, the Enneagram 3s very, very early on in their life became people that could walk into a room and they're like chameleons. They know who they need to be to impress the people around them, to achieve whatever this idea that the other people hold about them to get their needs met, to have the Enneagram 3's needs met. Interesting. I don't feel like I've done that. Okay, yes. Okay, so this is where... I'm more like the... I definitely relate to the idea of attaching my self-worth to achievement. Like that is something I very much relate to where it's just like I I attribute almost all of my personal self-worth to my accomplishments. So that I really, yeah. I, however, I've stubbornly been like, I walk in a room and I'm more like, this is who I am. Fuck it. Deal with it. Um, and I, and I do I can, I can be a chameleon if I want to, but I don't like being it. I'm resistant to it. Have you always been that way where it's more like, fuck it, like I want to be real? Or is that something you've learned? No, I've always been that way. Okay. So those are more four qualities. And that's why I was wrestling with this for you is, and and it's funny. Okay. So I'm a big bachelor guy. Like I'm a big bachelor person. I love Mm -hmm. the bachelor. So I'll like go to some bachelor people. And I think I love the bachelor for the same reason I love the Enneagram. It's like about people. It's about why people, people are the way they are, you know? So, okay. Ben Higgins says he's a four. Okay. Ben, just just for reference, I got the quiz from Ben. (laughs) Cool. That makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So, so he, who knows if he'll ever listen to this, but he strikes me more as a three because threes have this awareness of who they need to be in a room for others. Uh, I would agree with that. I mean, that I would agree in terms of Ben. He's very on. So I think he says he's probably a four wing, wing three. So this is like, it really does come down to motivation. But, but for him, it seems like he is really good at relating to a room and being what people need, where I see more four tendencies in you to really value authenticity above performance. And those are very four qualities. Fours were like, like, I need you to be real with me right now. We're going to be able to tell if you're fake. We know what's going on underneath your fakeness anyway. So let's just all be who we are and be cool with that. Um, that would be more me, yeah. 
Okay, so the motivation behind an Enneagram 4 is to have emotional authenticity, to find meaning, and to find themselves. Which means... <laughs> which which means um, okay well for me so I I am an enneagram four okay. so in childhood and and we'll start to like talk about like childhood messages because they really do it it that's kind of where this enneagram model comes from is from the things that we hear in childhood and and a lot of people this is where I get a lot of pushback with the enneagram because a lot of people will say like. No, I had great parents. Like they were awesome. We had a great relationship. Everything was perfect. And and I think that that can be true. I loved I love my parents. They're great. Well, I mean, great parents still can fuck you up a little bit. I don't mean fuck you up like in a way of like true like you know, you're messed up, but like with parents, especially back in the day, they would just like, you know, get married in their early 20s, be like, let's just have a kid. And then they would figure it out. And a lot of what they taught you was based off of what they, again, learned from their parents. And I mean, the 1950s wasn't exactly like a, a a playbook of like great child rearing. I mean, you know, like we all just kind of figured out and we've talked about some of the things that are going on in our country, like not necessarily bad, but like, you know, you learn some shit and you're just like, well, that kind of, I'll be honest it seems a little fucked up nowadays, you know, um, all well-intentioned, you know, and overall, I mean, I had an amazing, you know, I've said this over and over, I felt loved and cared for. It doesn't mean our parents got it right a hundred percent of the time. So I get what you're saying. Listen, I, I've been smelling really great <laughs> lately and I feel really good about the fact that I am not putting toxins into my body. We've all talked about how our skin is our largest organs. Everything we put on our skin is absorbed into our bodies, into our organs. So think about deodorant when you're thinking about that, right? You want to have organic safe deodorant. Uh, I'm allergic to aluminum regular deodorant, I, I break out. Uh, and then you have antiperspirants that don't necessarily have some of that stuff in, but they have a ton more chemicals. Each and ever has been a, li a lifesaver for me. I've been using it. I smell fantastic. It lasts. Um, I don't know what more to say that uh, ever since I've been using each and every, every day, um, I feel a lot better about the things I'm putting on my body. I've been using each and every ever since I got it. I use the fragrance free one because I do have a lot of sensitivities, but it's amazing. I mean, I've been outside gardening in this northeast, super hot and humid, and it keeps me dry. I don't smell, and it doesn't get sticky, and it doesn't stain my clothes, which is super important. So if you're looking for deodorant that uses natural ingredients, but you still smell good, uh, use each and every. Visit eachandevery.com slash V-I-A-L-L today. Uh, use promo code V-I-A-L-L and get 30% off your first purchase. That's not eligible to combine with other discounts or subscriptions. So use promo code V-I-A-L-L at eachandevery.com slash V-I-A-L-L. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm thankful that like my parents have grown enough in their own life that they can look back and be like, yeah, we did fuck up in these ways. And like, those are super healing conversations to have with your family if they're willing to have those conversations. Sure. But, yeah. but also I'm assuming like dynamic too. Like I have 10 siblings and like, I'm assuming, uh, my, uh, myself or even my siblings have an Enneagram based off of, you know, that childhood in terms of my parents, again, talking about always being focused on giving, everyone attention, but I guarantee, I, I know for a fact that all of my siblings don't have the same perspective of uh, the attention they did or didn't receive as a kid. 
Yeah. Same, same with my, me and my siblings. We're, we're all very different. There's four of us and, and we had four different upbringings, but like my sister and I are two and a half years apart and we paid attention to very different things that our parents didn't, didn't do, which Mm is a really interesting, like, and that's like a nurture versus nature conversation about like where your Enneagram type comes from. But anyway, so like the Enneagram four in childhood whether this is like my parents' fault or just like the way I'm wired, I was deeply desiring my parents to understand me on an emotional level. Like it was really important that they had conversations with me about what I was feeling. I didn't know that at the time and I didn't realize that it was missing. But what I did know is I felt a level of being misunderstood and unseen in my childhood. And because of that, that kind of creates this internal dialogue unconsciously because most of our Enneagram behavior is unconscious, where I started to feel like maybe I didn't have an identity and, and maybe like I was like unwanted or like didn't have significance just because I was really seeking like a different level of significance with my parents. And so that drives a life for looking for my significance, finding meaning in everyone else around me, but like looking to myself and being like, who the, who the heck am I inside, you know, and how do I bring that out into the world? So I don't know if you relate to that. Uh, that part, not as much. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm a heady person, so, but I've always been in, like, I joke with my family that I'm an only child with 10 siblings. Mm. Like I've, what do you mean by that? I kind of always minded my own business, especially as a kid growing up. I did my thing. I, you know, I have an older sister and then it's me and then I have two sisters. So in my very early childhood, I was the only boy. I was the first boy. I was the only boy. And so I, I never lacked attention. Uh, I was really big into athletics and I excelled in athletics at an early age. And so I, again, I just, and I always, I never lacked attention and therefore like interactions, like I was never a tattler. Like my sisters would constantly tattle on me and I just didn't give a shit like what they did. Like I was just thinking like, if you're, I don't, I don't care what you're doing. It's not my problem. Like I was, and you, I was just focused on me. Uh, And as a result, I've never felt like, uh, even my childhood, I never felt that way. Now throughout my life, I've always felt misunderstood, um, especially by people on the peripheral, like, not necessarily by people who get to know me, but I'm often told I'm hard to read, which I think I can be. And sometimes that's fun because I like to be mysterious. But at the same time, like people will then like to make a lot of assumptions about me based off of like, well, I mean, I don't know how to read you, but I'm going to go ahead and guess. And then therefore they do that. And then I'm, I'm annoyed if that makes sense. No, that, that makes complete sense. And, and I think that, it sounds like there's some four in there for sure. I mean, oh yeah, when you say four, like I definitely relate to it. But I'm saying like this as a kid, I never felt. I don't ever. I don't have a memory of feeling like uh, feeling my parents didn't understand me. Yeah, yeah. Just, do you remember feeling misunderstood by the world? I know you said like you had a. You were like. Oh, I mean yes, and in, in high school, yeah, for sure. I was. Oh, 
I've always kind of been this enigma my whole life where I, and I don't like it's high school. So I don't know how you, you know, I, I was big into sports, but I liked art and I liked fashion and I liked to dance in high school. And again, when you're in high school, people like say the bachelor, they like to, you know, place you in these buckets, right. And identify like labels and, and things to you, especially growing up in, you know, the Midwest and, um, and in the early 2000s, and like, you know, we weren't as progressive now as we were then in general. Um, and again, I, as a result of being tall and aloof, um, p- people can also just like want to make certain assumptions. So again, like I that's where I f- feel like I was uh, misunderstood, especially from high school, is that, um, uh, yeah, people would be quick. To, people want to, you know, they want to feel comfortable in a room with you. They want to be able to understand who these people are that you're dealing with. And I was, I'm often closed off. Like I, like it's a me problem from like, I, that's like where it's irritating for me. I sometimes get off on the fact that I'm hard to read and then annoyed that I misunderstood, which is like a total like contradiction and totally. So, so the Enneagram in, so we talk about Enneagram fours. We, we say that like, because of this like misunderstanding feeling that we have that I have maybe you have there's like this push and pull in relationships where we like really want to be seen but we also don't want to be seen at all and and I really relate to that and and similar to you I mean I don't know what your high school high school experience was per se but like I really worked hard to win the attention of like those around me, you know, like I, I ended up on the the homecoming court and like all of those things. And I worked really hard for it. But the whole time I felt like I was, I was an outsider. Like even on the inside, I had this feeling of being an outsider. And they say for Enneagram fours, we like, it's like we have, we're watching a party and we're like watching through the window and our nose is pressed against the glass and we're like please invite me inside like just invite me to this party like I really want to be a part of who you are and then we get invited inside and we like feel like we don't belong so there's this push and pull of like we're in but we also don't want to be in you just want to be wanted just want to be wanted and there's like a deeper level of wanting to be seen there right like I want to be seen for who I really am, not because I'm like, I belong to this whatever group. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, I, I relate to that. Just, yeah, you do. <laughs> just tell me I'm great, but I don't want to hang out with you. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, you could be a four, you could be a three. And like, Where, what you said five though, investigator. Yeah, so, so five is the investigator. So, What's interesting about the Enneagram, um, just for like some background on this, there's there's three centers of intelligence within the Enneagram. So so there's a head center, a heart center, and a body center. And there's three numbers that are in all three of those categories. So like we all use our head, our heart, and our gut to know things, but all of us have a core a core way that we choose to like view the world through. So which, which ones are which? Yeah. So the twos, threes, and fours are the heart center. 
the fives, okay. the sixes, and the sevens are the head center. And that's why I'm starting to bring this into the conversation because we're moving into a different center. And then the uh, eights, nines, and ones are the body center. They're like gut people. They feel things instinctually. They're people that say like, go with your gut a lot. I say go with my gut a lot, but I say it, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm very instinctual, um, more with other people than myself. How does that matter when like like I'm good at reading people? I'm I'm good at reading situations. I don't know if that has anything to do with myself or my enneagram number. That's a three quality. That's a three quality. Okay. Yeah, it's part of Why? that chameleon chameleon oh. thing because like you know what those people need in a sense. So you're saying as uh, if, if, if I am a three, three ring, four, four, four ring, three, I can't even talk. Um, you're saying that I, I have the ability to be the chameleon, but my, my, my end, my four is stopping me from actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Which comes back to your motivation, which is why I would, I would say it's so important when we're talking about the Enneagram to not to pay more attention to the motivation than to what you do because you could be a chameleon, but you're choosing not to for some like core motivation reasons. And I think that that's the important thing. There's a part of me when you, when I say that, right? Like at my, I relate to that at my core. I'm just like, I can't do it. I can't live with myself knowing that I walk into a room and I'm even the slightest bit inauthentic just to make someone else happy. Yeah, why is that? Well, couple couple reasons. One, I f- it feels inauthentic to myself. Um, I don't know how else to say this without like, I feel even in relationships sometimes. I I don't want to have too much power. What I mean by that is I don't want to feel like I'm manipulating you. I know I can be manipulative. I know I have the ability to do that. I know I can read people. I know I can say what they want to hear. And I feel uncomfortable, uh, especially in relationships that matter to me, if I feel like I'm doing that. Because it feels, it doesn't feel authentic? Well, it feels toxic in a sense. Like if I were in a relationship that's meaningful, like let's say romantic, and I was just like, I felt like I could read their emotions and I could read what they want. I knew what they wanted me to say, but I didn't totally feel that way, but they wanted it. Like I would be resistant to doing it because therefore I would think that that's not a relationship. That's a, I don't know what that is, but it's not something I want. And I think that's quite honestly been what some of my biggest challenges because I'm often, I feel like I'm in those situations. And so- Where you feel manipulative? In relationships? Not, I feel like I could be or, and you know, I mean, if we're really getting in the weeds, then like, then the other person, like every relationship, I'm not manipulating, like, but every relationship you want to have that feeling. And so I've ended up dating people that will do their version of pushing back and like, but then that just turns into a fight because I'm just like, I don't know. But yes, I feel that like, that's something I struggle with. From my perspective, what it sounds like you're struggling with is like, desiring a meaningful relationship where you really see each other. And, and I really relate to that um, in, in my relationship as well. And, and I can also be emotionally manipulative, I think, to a certain degree. I, I'm a four with a three wing. Um, 
And, and the way that comes out for me, a lot of the time I'm married. Um, and especially early on, like Enneagram stuff was super important for our relationship because we, I mean, our relationship started off so, so intense. Um, and, and we didn't like, honestly like in a good way, honeymoon phase way, or like you were fighting immediately fighting immediately. Yeah. I got married when I was 22. Okay. I don't know. We just like, I, I came from, we, I like graduated from a Bible school in Michigan and then two weeks later got married to my husband. So like I had never lived alone. I like was in this small Michigan community of people that looked like me and thought like me and all the things. And then my husband and I, we got married super young and then moved to Chicago. I was completely isolated. I didn't know how to interact well with my husband. I didn't know who he was. We didn't know who each other were. And, and it, it really set us up in a lot of ways for failure. Um, and the Enneagram was super helpful because like I saw those patterns come out in me in ways that like I really needed to start to understand myself and I needed to understand my husband. And like, for me, like the, the manipulation piece comes out when I feel unloved or like misunderstood or unseen, I'll start to like push and create like, I don't know, I guess like a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Push until I get my needs met, like continue to emotionally push to figure out a way for him to give me what I want, which is codependency at its best, right? Like we all do that in relationships. I've struggled with that on the flip side. Like again, being someone who can read situations, there's nothing that irritates me more than if I feel like I'm being, when I feel like someone's trying to manipulate me. And I, again, not like in a like, like conscious way, conscious or unconsciously, if I feel like their actions are inauthentic to what they were really trying to accomplish, I get so fucking irritated. I'm just like, you don't really mean that. And you're just saying it to get a reaction. And knowing that you're doing that makes me annoyed. Yeah, totally. No, no, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And so my husband, he's a five on the Enneagram, which is the observer, which is what we were going to talk about, but, but it's okay. We're going full circle. But, um, the Enneagram five, they felt in childhood like they were like super overwhelmed by the world. They're super sensitive, but Enneagram fives kind of get this bad rep of not seeming very emotional, actually seeming like more robotic, more logical. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's because like the world was so overwhelming to them that they kind of started to hide up in their heads. What do you mean by the world was so overwhelming to them? Because that sounds like a well, that sounds like a big statement. So uh, what I mean, because when you say analytical but sensitive, I can relate to that. But I never felt like the world was too much for me to handle. Yeah. And, and if you ask an Enneagram five about that, they'll be like, oh, no, the world was too much. Like I couldn't handle it. They're typically like people who are super, super introverted, people that don't want to be controlled by the environment around them, people that feel like they don't have a lot of energy like inside of them. So they retreat a lot of the time. These, these are people who retreat. So you can guess in my marriage as I would like continue to desire to be seen and heard, like my husband would just like 
feel emotionally overwhelmed and start to like back up and back up and back up. And that turned into like our cycle in so many ways. Um, But the Enneagram was super helpful because I, I then could realize like, oh, when he's retreating, like, that's not about me. Like that's, that's space that he needs to process and feel less overwhelmed. And if I can give him that space, then he will be able to come back and like, connect with me better no that's really helpful i mean i mean again we're ta- if you're talking about uh understanding uh, enneagram as a way or as a tool to like either help yourself whether you're single if you're in a relationship I me mean, again it's it's fun to take a test and be like oh that's so me um ha 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 like i'm an achiever um but Yes, like we're often in relationships, in any relationship, quote, working relationship, uh, romantic relationship, where we feel the disconnect. And you talk about um, compatibility. I've, I've recently had a conversation with someone, you know, that I was dating. And my question was like, well, what if we're not compatible about this thing? And I was like, we're not compatible about that thing. But I don't know what that means about everything else i mean you can't you know it's like voting in a two-party system like if you're honest about each individual topic that you might vote upon like you're never going to find a candidate that you know meets all those needs so therefore like then how do you take these uh things that you're incompatible about right like here you are as the individualist who like it sounds like the way you described it was almost in direct contradiction to what might be compatible with investigators. So instead of saying, well, fuck it, we're not compatible. Let's break up or get divorced. You were like, all right, well, how do I understand the point of view they're coming from? So that when we get to that situation, you know, again, it's like building, you know, you know you're not going to expect the other person to jump across the river. You build a bridge and you meet in the middle. You're like, how do you? And so I'm assuming, yeah, that's good for to hear is that your these enneagrams and like diving deep uh, ideally would help you see the point of view of your partner and not only that but see how you guys can again bridge the gap totally yeah no and people always ask um like which enneagram numbers go best together or like which ones don't work out and and speaking to your point like i say no like all nine enneagram numbers are going to trigger you in different ways like that's just true about all of us like there are Things inside every type of Enneagram number, especially if people are like not in a place of health where I can start to see how those specific traits are really affecting me. And, and similarly on the other side, like we all have gifts, right? Like we all have beautiful things that we bring to a relationship. So if we can like work with those as, as you say, and really come to a place of like, again, not like looking at behavior, but understanding why those things are the way they are and like have compassion and empathy for our partners um, and, and use it as a tool to like get to know them in a deeper way, which I hope that we're all doing with our partners for our whole entire life that we have a partner. Like, I think that's, that's much more beautiful than just like being compatible. Like you said, like, to a certain degree, yeah, maybe some people work in in a way where it seems easier than others, but there's such a beautiful 
aspect of like my marriage where we've really had to work to get to know who the other person is at a heart level. And I, I wouldn't trade that just because it's hard. Like I would rather have that. So let's, let's run down the list of some of the other ones since we've been talking about ourselves. So, so six, (laughs) six, six is the, uh, Loyalist. The loyalist. What and if someone's primarily a six, what does that mean to be the loyalist? Yeah, so the loyalists are like the most fearful number on the Enneagram. <clears throat> so fearful. they're yeah, so so they're so people in the head triad, five, sixes, and sevens, they're solving for safety and security. That's kind of like their main objective. And they struggle mostly with fear. People in the heart triad are struggling mostly with shame and are seeking attention and validation. Um, People in the gut triad are are focused on autonomy and respect and struggle with anger to a certain degree. So the sixes, their their struggle with fear, they, they often in relationships see protection and love in the same category because they deeply want to be affirmed, protected, guided, supported. So these are people that are constantly kind of like checking you, like, are we good? Are we good? We're, we're friends, right? Like we, we love each other, right? And, and there are also people that um, have learned to really protect themselves through solving everything around them. So they can they can be worst, scenario, worst case scenario thinkers. Um, they're, they've got a solution for all the worst case things that could happen in the world. To us, that feels like pessimism, but to them, it just feels like being real and honest. So um, yeah, I think like when it comes back to the bachelor world, I, again, I like I don't know. Please don't think like sure. I'm going to get policed by the Enneagram police it's to like not do, this. not do this. It's it's really not allowed. I mean, it's 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 like, you know, like if you're doing this off a show, you can only like gain gain so much knowledge. Ben, how like Ben, like Ben has a podcast. I have a podcast. We've we've put ourselves out there in ways that I guess if you wanted to like still it's not like knowing us, but I get what you're. you're well, saying. yeah. And, and like, again, when I'm watching The Bachelor, like I'm. I'm kind of seeing it through an Enneagram lens. I'm like trying sure. to figure out why they're doing what so they're we'll, doing. We'll put so we'll put out the disclaimer that you're not. Disclaimer. Uh, yeah, yeah. But who's the six? I think Jared falls into the, Jared Haben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He falls into the six category. From what I understand, he constantly is trying to, oh, he's, yes, he's fearful of what may happen. So he's going through all the scenarios that could happen. He's he's insanely risk averse, and yes, he he likes his comfort, and he does check in. Yeah, I also think that That's Vanessa, fair, yeah. to a certain degree, could could have also been a six or is a six. I don't know her as well. I mean, her and Jared are very different. Inter- see, and that's that's why it's so important to pay attention. Can you to be? Motivation. Can you have different? Yeah, so there's the question. Like, could you? Could two people be sixes? Yes. And seem like completely different people on the surface. Absolutely. So like we can, we'll talk, we'll talk about all of them, but like Enneagram ones, they're the perfectionists. So they're like people that are constantly trying to do the right thing, say the right words. Like they're really aware of like good and evil, but you could be a democratic Enneagram one, or you could be a Republican one. And, and you might start to hear like similar types of arguments and language but they have completely opposing views because what their morality is based on is different from each other. 
So it is interesting. Sure. Well, I mean, like our, you get the political stuff. It's like all strongly based on our childhood and our religious beliefs and our communities and what we're told. But yes, our ability to uh, defend those beliefs and apply them like has nothing really to do with how we might vote. You know, we're just. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's even like deeper levels to this that we don't have to get into, but there's like three subtypes within every Enneagram type. So you can be like a one-to-one sexual four, you can be a social four, or you can be a self-preservation four. So there's another level and we don't have to talk about that because there's like books that are like giant on that. So, but there's, there's a reason why you can look very different from each other and still be the same number. So gotcha. Anyway, uh, so should we just go around? Yeah, you know, let's, yeah, let's move on to seven. Sevens are the enthusiast. Okay, yeah. So, so you got seven on the test and then you got two, right? Yes. Okay, so one of the, one of the common... That sounds about right. Not that I <laughs> know what the fuck I'm talking about. So you, you had done something that is like very common for people in the Enneagram to do, which is to think that your second test result means that that's your wing, but your wings are actually the number on each side of your Enneagram number. So you actually can't be a seven wing two. You would have to be a seven with your wings would be eight and six, or you might be a two. So that's something to look into. And that's a common misconception. So that's probably good that, that we could address that. Wait. So some tests you took, Chris, you said seven, two. Yeah. Well, that was a bullshit It said test. seven, two, and then one. Test, man. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but my, th- my three wing four at least sounded <laughs> accurate. So wait, so you're saying, because if you see three, four, and five, then if there's five in me, then I have to be a four with, 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 with hints of three and five. It's like, it's like tasting a wine. Yes, totally. Yeah. And some people really like their wing number and their core number are so close that it's hard to know. So I don't know. Again, it takes time. But anyway, so the Enneagram sevens, they're called the enthusiasts. It's interesting because like Enneagram sevens don't feel like they struggle with fear at all. They're like the Peter Pans of the Enneagram. They're like super stoked on life. I have a Peter Pan tattoo on my back shoulder. Well, that that makes so much sense. Yeah. Enneagram's... (laughs) Enneagram sevens are like super joy filled, energy filled people who are constantly looking for the newest and latest experience to bring them life. So the under the undercurrent of this, I guess you could say, is that Enneagram sevens have a really hard time feeling negative emotions. They have a hard time dealing with the anxiety that's inside of them. So they're using experiences and they're using new things, new and exciting things to cover up their sense of anxiety. Do you resonate with that? Yup. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. That's me. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So sevens, as they grow, they learn to sit with their pain. They, they learn to be people that can sit with the low emotions as much as the high emotions. And if they don't do that, I mean, I've had Enneagram sevens that if they don't do their work, they can really hurt the people around them because 
if you bring something that is hurt, like hard for you, they can't even sit with it because they are like running from it in themselves that they have a hard time like sitting with it in other people as well. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, but, but they're, they're beautiful people. They're so fun. It's always important to have a seven around for sure. So those are sevens. Um, Enneagram eights are called the challengers um, or the leaders. Enneagram eights are really focused on control. So they're going to try to control their way out of their anger. And there's this sense in an Enneagram eight that they really need to protect themselves and others, especially the weak. Um, they're, They're really worried about justice. They're they're people that concern themselves with the lives of others and constantly want to do things to to make the world better. So a lot of Enneagram 8s in childhood felt like they had to grow up too fast. And so the underside of the 8 is that they didn't really ever get to be a kid. They didn't get to experience their vulnerability to a certain degree. So as 8s grow, they become more vulnerable. Um, In Bachelor Nation, I think Rachel Lindsay is an 8. Um, I, I think, what's her name, um, on, on Ari season, the villain on Ari season. The villain on Ari season. Oh, um, coach, 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 coach Crystal. Crystal. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that Demi could be an eight as well. Um, kind of this like tough exterior. Yeah. I could see that for Demi first. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think Rachel... I don't know if she knows the Enneagram. I would be interested to hear if, if she did and find out what her number is. But um, so Enneagram nines are called the peacemaker. Um, Enneagram nines are concerned with putting their needs um, at a lower level than the people around them to continue to have connection with others. They're really worried about like losing the connection and the relationships around them. So they, so they focus more on what you want than what they want because they don't want to stir the pot. These are people that really um, don't want conflict. They're, they're very conflict averse and they um, will kind of do anything to keep this peace. They, they have this layer, we call it like this, like, this uh, spongy layer that kind of keeps the outside out there and their internal worlds like inside and pressed down. But the thing about Enneagram nines is they're like, they're constantly feeling everything that's around them because they've put everyone else's needs at such a high place. So they really, really have a, a level of empathy that they carry with them that is super, super beautiful. And and if they can learn to have that same compassion for themselves as they do for others, they become really, really beautiful leaders. Um, so, so the Enneagram ones. Um, oh, I think we've, we've covered one, have we not? No? Yeah, so. a little bit. Um, they're the perfectionist. They're also in the anger triad, but because anger is not like good, it's not like a good thing for people to have. They've kind of turned their anger inward towards themselves and um, they, they have this internal critic that's constantly telling them to do better, like do better, be better, this isn't enough. Like those are voices that ones are constantly hearing. Um, but one, ones are people that will walk into a room and see what needs to be different, see what needs to be better. And um, 
they're people that are going to focus on like the right words, um, the, the right way to appear good. Um, and then twos would be the last one. So twos are the helper. Um, these are people who need to be needed. They have a fear that they might be unlovable at their core. So, so they desire to get love through meeting the needs of people around them. These are people that are like super outwardly heart led. So like their emotions are written on their face. They like cry easy. They're like really fun and loving and just like, they're the people that in high school, like they gave us all a ride home and we told them we would give them gas money and then we never did. I can see that Ben's a three with wings four and two. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that too. Again, like only Ben can say, but I, I see that. I would love to hear what he thinks about that. You talked about kind of the shadow element of this. And, that, and as you were going through this list, you, you describe it in a way that assumes everyone is inherently good. But the reality is that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I'm an optimist. I think people, the majority of people are inherently good. But there are some like, there are some misguided people, shitty people, um, people who have lost their way, so to speak. And we've all been in moments in our in our lives where we're not our best selves. Like, how can we, uh, like, how does this, how do you apply the Enneagram to like uh, assess those people who, you know, the toxic partner in our lives are, are, are there people, are there people, are there like the Enneagram numbers? Uh, can anyone just be toxic just because of their, you know, childhood or who they've become as adults or are certain numbers more likely to be toxic people in relationships or does it have to do with the, the match? I truly believe that every, every one of these numbers could become could become a toxic person or a partner. I think like if you go to the Enneagram Institute, I don't know if if that's where you are getting your information from, but they have a list of like what Enneagram fives look like at their best and what they look like at their very worst. Gotcha. And so I think it all comes out different ways. And I and to a certain degree, like I do believe that all of those things are coming from these core needs that we all need and are like good things, right? Like everyone always says like, that wasn't my intention. Like I had good intentions. And, and I truly to a degree believe that that's true about almost all people. I believe that they believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. Well, think about when someone says it's well-intentioned, we've talked about like Garrett and his, his, his comments he's made. I believe that he believes he had the best intentions. That doesn't, mean he is right or wrong like you know what i'm saying like and you know they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions because like you can you can mask anything you do by saying well i meant well but if you're if you're closed off to how your actions and intentions affect people outside of your peripheral then then you know as especially adults you know that can be harmful to people if you're closed off a good thing to go back to is just like what I was saying about my relationship, like being emotionally like overbearing towards my partner because I don't feel loved and I don't feel understood. Like those are fine motivations, but that doesn't mean that those are good things to do to my partner. And, and I think it's the same thing. And I think the more we don't understand those core motivations, the more we end up 
trying to get them places that aren't healthy and and continue try to like spiral from from our good core motivations so like coming back to like the shadow side of all numbers like there's this thing called the vice of every number like every number has a core vice like a core trap that they fall into and every number has a virtue like a thing that you can work on to like be the medicine to your vice so so if i just go down the list like the perfectionist struggles with resentment the helper struggles with pride the achiever struggles with deceit the enneagram four the individualist struggles with envy the observer the five struggles with avarice which kind of means greed and that's a little bit confusing but it's more like hoarding time hoarding energy wanting to be alone the loyalist struggles with fear and anxiety the enthusiasts, they, they struggle with gluttony. They want to consume and consume and consume more. The challenger struggles with lust. Um, and that's more of like, like power lust. Like they're, they're constantly like on this need for power and, and um, strength. And then the peacemaker struggles with sloth. So like, dude, like I know, I know we're kind of like keep going back to our own numbers, but like obviously I can only speak for myself and like envy in my life. I, I can see that working in my life every single day. And, and I don't know about you, but like envy for me is like someone can be a karate instructor, like a black belt karate instructor who like goes around the world. And like, maybe I've never cared about karate my whole entire life. But all of a sudden, as I hear that they're like this awesome karate instructor that teaches people and like gets to go to cool places. I'm like, Oh, I wish I was a karate instructor. Like I see the meaning in that and I yeah, want I can do that a little bit. I will say when it comes to envy and um um uh, jealousy, uh I I I feel like I'm really good at applying that in a positive way. Like, you know, I have a sales background. So like and 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 people in sales, a lot of salespeople, especially when you see people or even in sports, right? Sales and sports, there's a lot of parallels in terms of when you see other people have success around you, a lot of people will immediately try to think of why that person was lucky. Uh, why they, you know, uh, why that they try to make excuses for the, the, the success that people have around them as opposed to, uh, and I've been good at like not doing that, but I still it get, I still want what they want you know, I, I get that. I'm just, then I'm just like, well, how can I do that? You know? Um, so I, and I do feel like that's why I'm like kind of good at a lot of different things. Um, like I'm not, I'm not like a master at anything, but I, you know, like why I can randomly paint in roller skate and just like, there's these little things. I'm just like, I want to get good at that. Um, so I, 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 I appreciate that as the individual and envy. Yeah. And you Um, see the meaning in those things. You're like, I want to do these things because I think they're cool and have meaning and want to experience that. Yeah. Well, this has all been very interesting. Um, We probably could talk a a, a lot more about it, but um, you know, we're running out of time, but uh, for those people who, you know, want to get more information because I'm assuming they can, you know, there's just all these little things that we kind of referenced, but didn't dive into. Uh, where can people find you and, you know, where could, where are some just kind of resources on the old internet or, or wherever where they can maybe get some more information and, and apply this type of thinking? 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's like so many podcasts, so many books, like years and years and years of knowledge and and really recycled information. Like all us Enneagram teachers are just like reciting old Enneagram teachers talking. But um, yeah, if you want like individualized, like one-on-one, like a deeper dive and look at like who you are and why you are the way you are, um, I do a one-on-one masterclass that you can you can look into you can go to my website which is jillthehuman.com um i'm jill the human because my brother my brother had a dog named jill for a little while and we lived together and so sense, yeah. i started to be jill the human and then there was jill the dog <laughs> jill the to dog, figure yeah. out who oh, peed on the couch that day yeah, yeah. so so you can go to go to Jill the Human. And then I also just do like individual guidance to like dive deeper into those patterns and like into the experiences that you're having and how we can like create a roadmap for you within like your specific type and relationships and experiences. And then I have an, an Instagram. I'm, I'm Jill the Human underscore as well on Instagram. Um, but that's more personal. So that's that's me. And there's some teachers like new teachers that I love, Abby Robbins. They, um, they're the conscious Enneagram, I think on Instagram. Um, and then Annie Diamond, she's Enneagram for wholeness. Um, they're like some of my favorite new teachers. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Jill. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and I hope that the people listening found this to be as interesting and as fun as I did. Um, yeah, it's really useful. It's uh, it's one thing to kind of talk about these things that we hear so much about, but to get a little bit more information um, is a lot of fun and, again, you know, hopefully useful in our lives. I mean, there's um, I'm definitely a big believer, especially in relationships and in our own lives to, you know, like you said, I like how you mentioned the motivations, like understanding our motivations and the people around us motivations is a great way of you know, understanding people's point of view, especially in the time that we're living right now. Um, so very easy for us to see the world through our eyes and our lens and and assume that everyone's motivations is identical to ours and that the reason why they see things or do things or perceive things um, is, is based off those, again, our motivations and that knowing that that's very different. And I, it sounds obvious, but I think we sometimes forget that uh, even in relationships is that... Um, you don't always want the same things or need the same things. Uh, and that's okay. But just figuring out how to do that and bridge that gap can be very helpful. So, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. No, thank you. Uh, thanks for listening guys. As always, we really appreciate it. Don't forget to send your questions at asknickacastme.com for our ask Nick episodes. Uh, if we don't have anything else, then we will just say goodbye to you and see you on Monday. <laughs>